Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations, metrics, and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you guys to someone I met a couple of weeks ago in Calgary. Somebody I've known about for a while, but finally got a chance to see live and in person. And boy, I was not disappointed. Uh, This is a man that has kind of been at the forefront of something that's been very hot in the agency world as of late around value-based pricing. His name is Blair Enns. He's the author of Win Without Pitching, the Win Without Pitching Manifesto Story, which I just started reading yesterday. A great book. He's also the author of Pricing Creativity, A Guide to Profit Beyond the Billable Hour. He co-hosts along with David C. Baker, the Two Bobs podcast, The Conversations on the art of creative entrepreneurship. It's one of the top podcasts in the industry, one that has inspired me a lot in the creation of this very podcast. He's based in the remote mountain village of Caslow, British Columbia, which is on the opposite side of the continent from me, but he's a fellow Canadian, so still feels like a friend. Uh, He lectures all around the world on how creative professionals can win more business at higher prices and lower costs of sale without pitching. And he is truly gifted at it. Um, I really enjoyed the talk that he gave in Calgary when we met. So with all of that, Blair, thank you so much for being on the show today, man. It's great to have you. Uh, Marcel, thanks for having me. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. (laughs) So I'm really excited to have you here because I just remember sitting um, at that Communo Summit a couple of weeks ago and just nodding my head for about 45 straight minutes as you went on about this... uh, I don't even know what I want to call it. Is it a, is it a theory? Is it a framework? Is it a, I mean, it's this win without pitching methodology. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's, it's magical. Yeah. Thank you. It's a point of view on how agency new business development should be done. And out of that point of view falls a framework. And we're going to get into it today for all of those that are listening. Um, It's going to shift the way that you think about the conversations you're having with your current clients, with new potential clients. And I'm excited to get into it. But before we do any of that, Blair, I'd love to give you the opportunity to share with everyone just a little bit more about yourself, what you do, um, specifically when it comes to Win Without Pitching. Sure. Um, (laughs) You know, it's not like I haven't done these interviews before, but anytime I've asked that kind of open-ended question about like, what do you do with Win Without Pitching? I I reach into the bag of stories that I could select from and decide what story I want to tell. Um, I worked for a dozen years in the agency business, large ad agencies and small design firms. I launched Win Without pitching in 2002 as a solo consulting practice. It was really a family or a lifestyle business. I had four small children um, at the time. Uh, And then in 2013, I switched the business model. I try not to use the word pivoted. I switched the business model from a solo consulting practice and essentially a lifestyle business. My children were um, older by then, to a 
scaled up and scalable training company. So Win Without Pitching Today is a, we call it a sales training company for creative professionals. Now, in truth, we do a little bit more than sales training. We touch on pricing. We touch on intellectual property development, positioning, um, even a little bit of lead generation. And um, even though our target is creative firms, that is the market that I know really well. And that's the one that I feel uh, driven uh, to help serve others outside of that narrow target market, find interest in what we do and also sign up for our various training programs. But at its, at the heart of what we do, it's sales training for creative professionals. We do that, um, in public workshops. We do that in private onsite training and we do it in various forms of remote training and coaching. So there you have it. Sales training for creative professionals in all kinds of different flavors, whatever floats your bone. And can I, can I just point out that creative for many people are tuning out now because it's they I've used the S word <laughs> because we don't use the S word. We don't talk about sales or selling in the creative profession. If you, if you see yourself as a creative and I do, I'm a writer at heart, but I grew up in the business side of the business, if you see yourself as a creative, you, uh, you probably didn't embrace selling naturally. And I didn't in the early days. And it wasn't until somebody explained to me what selling is that I saw that selling is not the act of talking people into things. Selling is not the act of convincing people to do things, even if it's not in their best interest. Um, but if you see selling in that light, you're going to run away from it. So if I, when we, so we sent a, <clears throat> I wrote a blog post yesterday, we sent an email this morning, went out to the, we have 13,000 uh, opt-ins on our list. And if I use the S word in the subject line, the open rate will plummet. <laughs> so I'll use the code that we all use in the greater business. I'll use new business yeah. development. <laughs> But I like to lean into the dark places. One of our company values is lead by example, do what we say. And I'm often saying lean into the uncomfortable places. This is an uncomfortable word. So I've, I've embraced it for that reason right from the very beginning. And, and so being a gifted writer, you describe this kind of world that most creatives are living in and the way that they're doing new business development um, so colorfully in the book. I love it. it and it really... Um, kind of exacerbates how ridiculous the arrangement and the dynamic really is between the client and the the agency that is kind of performing almost like, you know, a monkey in a cage in this pitch kind of scenario where the dynamic immediately from the beginning is that the client is the puppet master and they're controlling the engagements. Um, and I love the way that you describe it because it really hits home the point that like this is such a totally broken model. I'm curious to know what the moment was for you when you realized how broken this was and that you needed to go out and help other people overcome that. That's a good question. So I, it's a hindsight question. And I remember, I remember one time, in my last agency job, I was doing new business for <laughs> selling new business for uh, 
at Creative Firm. I was running a remote office and there weren't many clients when I took over. In fact, all the clients left because they were friends of the guy who, who ran it previously. So I had to build the, the office up from scratch. And uh, I remember being in new business meeting after new business meeting. And I was in one meeting and the president of the agency had flown in for this meeting. And the meeting was going very well. And then the, the prospective client said, okay, you, you guys seem great. Um, why don't you come back and bring me some, uh, some, some ideas, some concepts on whatever we were talking about. And in that moment, I was just fed up. I just thought, <laughs> I'm just, I'm sick of this. I feel like I have no, I feel like we're not respected. It was a very good firm that did very good work. We're not respected. I have no power in the relationship here. I'm not seen as different. The client gets that, like, why is it the client can ask for free work in this situation? So I just said in that moment, no, we, we never pitch ideas for free. And I said that at the same moment that my boss, the president of the agency said, sure. So we both answered the question differently and we looked at each other and I forget how we got out of that situation, but he was a fantastic guy. When we got back to the office, he said, you know, I don't, I don't mind, uh, <laughs> I don't mind you having this point of view and I don't mind you pushing back on this sort of things. I just, you know, I'd appreciate the heads up before <laughs> the meeting. <laughs> And so I remember that as a, as a moment. And then I, without knowing what I was doing, I started to push back in a few situations, a few different ways. And some of them were successful and some weren't. And so by the time I left that firm and I left because I wanted to move to this remote mountain village in the middle of nowhere where I currently live. So I left that firm, a great job, a great guy, a great firm. And I, I didn't know what I was going to do for a living. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll start a consulting practice and I'll call it, the name came to me first. I'll call it Win Without Pitching. It was very aspirational. I hadn't, I hadn't at that point proven that you can do this all the time. But then once I started working directly with agencies, you learn quickly when you're a consultant and you have many clients because you're putting your theories and your models out there and you're putting them out there like they're fact. And the clients are paying you money so they believe you and they do you know, what you suggest they should do. And then they come back and they say, that was fantastic. And then I, as the young consultant would say, you mean it works? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the origin story. All right. So, well, that answers my next question, which is kind of, how did you come up with this? But it sounds like you had, you know, kind of touched on a vein that you thought was interesting in that role and just elaborated on it as a consultant and through repetition, through working with clients, it really developed into this very clear methodology that many agencies that you work with today are employing and getting great success with. Yeah, it starts as a point of view um, rooted in a flaw in my character in that it just, it wasn't, it was, it's not my nature to, to be in those sales relationships where we didn't have any power. We weren't seen as meaningfully different. The client was essentially pull, pushing us around. I would just, as a friend of mine has said previously, I would rather deliver pizzas for a living. And I really, really would. It's like, it's a character flaw of mine. And obviously not everybody shares that character flaw. So what I see is an absolute necessity, a point of view. Like I see my point of view on how business should be done as an absolute necessity. And I cannot imagine doing business any other way. I just cannot imagine it. And then I have to recognize that some people look at, you know, my point of view and how I advocate that they should operate. And they can't imagine trying this on because their, their personality flaws are different than mine. I think the four strongest words anybody ever strung together, and I don't know the author, but the four strongest words anybody ever strung together is all strategy is autobiographical. 
So I arrive at a strategy for a situation and I think it's the universal strategy that everybody should apply. We all make this mistake and, and it's not the appropriate strategy for everybody. It's merely the appropriate strategy for me. Now, in my case, I can prove that my strategy is more effective than the leading strategy. I've got some basic research that proves it, that even goes beyond the agency world. Um, In fact, the entire book, The Challenger Sale, is essentially, which is deeply rooted in extensive research, essentially proves that point. Um, But I also have to recognize that this approach comes natural to me because I have an inordinately high need for authority and respect. And I actually have a low kind of traditional uh, competitive drive. So I don't have this need to win every t- everything. I don't have a high need to be liked, but I do have a high need for authority and respect. And people with that profile tend to gravitate towards the win without pitching approach. People with a really high need to win and a low need for authority and respect will push back on the approach and say it's flawed, it's wrong, it doesn't work. Um, And people with a really high need to be liked or affinity or affiliation will look at it and think, this is too hard, I can't do this. (laughs) Um, So it's not... You know, it's, I think it's the most effective and there's research to support that my approach to new business is the most effective, but it's at the same time, it's not for everybody. Hmm. So for those uh, that are listening that have no context at all on what we're talking about at a high level, what is the win without pitching viewpoints and what are kind of some of the most important tenets of it? So I could distill, after years of trying, I could distill the entire win without pitching approach down into two steps. And now I can do better than that, but I'll give you the two steps. The two step number one, gain power in the buy-sell relationship. And you do that through the positioning of your firm. That's why the there are 12 proclamations in the win without pitching manifesto. And the first proclamation is we will specialize mm-hmm. because specializing bring, gives you power back in the buy-sell relationship. Step two, once you've gained more power in the buy-sell relationship, is to, is to leverage that power to change how your, you, your services are bought and sold. And that's a really big step that encompasses many, many, many different things. That's one without pitching in two steps. Now I can distill it into one formula, and I have it on a coffee cup here somewhere, right here, if you're watching at home on video. Uh, the formula is P equals DB over D. And what that means is your power in the buy-sell relationship is a function of your desirability being greater than your own desire. So your power in the buy-sell relationship, your power to push back on a flawed selection process, your power to command a price premium is, is a function of uh, who wants it the most? Who wants the other party or an engagement party, engagement with the other party the most? So you want to work to raise your desirability. Again, you do that through positioning and through lead generation. And in the, in the sale, you rein in your communication of desire for the client. Now, if you took that to the extreme, you would be aloof and arrogant and uninterested. And that's not what I'm advocating. What I'm advocating is you constantly be aware of what the client is communicating to you about how badly they want this or don't want this and what you are communicating to back to the client. Does that make sense? 
It does. And I want to, and only because I'm, I'm freshly reading the book, I want to just add a little bit more context on top of that. Um, cause I think what, where this really starts to make a lot of sense is when we actually observe the contrast between what's currently happening and how this approach in that context seems radically different. And the traditional approach, of course, is this one of, you know, there's a request for proposal or there's an agency that, um, you know, gets a request from a client to pitch. And there's usually going to be a whole multitude of agencies that are going to be pitching for the business. And in that process, there's very little consultative conversation happening with the client, the work's happening in a silo, it's being done on spec. And essentially, the agency is immediately devaluing their work. They're immediately getting into this dynamic where the client is getting these ideas for free. They're uh, actually setting the structure for the engagement, how you're going to be working together. And at the end, you're kind of doing this big reveal and waiting to either be approved or, you know, being cut off of Survivor's Island. Um, And in this new approach, it's really about having a value conversation. And what I love is that you really clearly establish the prerequisites for being able to have that kind of conversation around positioning, which has to do with, you know, being a specialist and actually creating scarcity as it relates to your expertise in that space and knowing that you're one of the few agencies that are able to do this level of work or has this level of expertise for this particular thing, for this particular client, whatever that niche happens to be. And then secondly, becoming an expert through your content, whether that be through your writing or your thought leadership in the space. And with that out in the world, creating an environment where the client really wants to work with you. And therefore, you can sit on your heels. We, this is something that I've been talking about with a close mentor of mine, Dan, for a long time is being able to sell from your heels. It feels so much better for the client. It feels better for you. The outcomes are so much better. And that's what I love about this approach is it does it for creatives, which has traditionally been a very difficult place to have this kind of sale, even though it clearly creates the best outcomes. Um, So again, guys, it's about having a value conversation. And I want to dig a little bit more into what does it mean to have a value conversation with a client? So Blair, what does it mean? So the value conversation is a part of the sale where your objective is to uncover the value that you might create for the client and then to set some sort of pricing guidance. I think, so in my most recent book, Pricing Creativity, A Guide to Profit Beyond the Billable Hour, the chapter on the value conversation is the longest chapter. It's the one where I spent the most time on. And it's, it's really, you, you, can, you can skip the value conversation. You can become a better pricer. But once you master the value conversation, you go to a whole another level. In fact, I think that the ability to master the value conversation is the most valuable skill in all of business. And it's a really simple framework. And again, the, the objective is to uncover the value that you might help to create for the client. And then after that, if you can set some pricing guidance. So it's a, it's a simple framework. I'll give it to your listeners. Um, it's really valuable and it's hard to learn to master. I'll talk about why it's hard to learn to master in a minute, but the framework is simple. It's um, the standard framework is three steps. I add a fourth step. The first step is find out what the client wants and others might state that is determine the objectives of the engagement. And I would say go deeper into that because um, value is an entirely personal thing. So you'll uncover business objectives. You also need to want to uncover what it is the person wants, the the individual wants. 
at the end of the day, value is really nothing more than a feeling. So step one, find out what the client wants. Step two, determine what the metrics of success are. What are the things that we're going to measure to prove that you have achieved or accomplished what you want, Madam Client? Fairly straightforward. Uh, Many things can be translated into measurable objectives. Not everything can be, so translate what you can. Step three is uncover the value. What is, if we help you hit these metrics, if you get, help you get, you get what you want and hit these metrics, what's the value to you and the organization of doing that? So you quantify, we're looking primarily for economic forms of value, but you also want to note the personal forms of value. I'll feel empowered. Maybe I'll get a raise. I'll be taken more seriously by the C-suite, et cetera, et cetera. And then step four is to offer pricing guidance. Find out what, if, if, if we could help you to create this value and hit, by hitting these metrics and delivering to you what it is that you articulated to me that you want, what would you be willing to pay for that? Now, I've given you kind of high-level open-ended versions of each of those steps. But in its simplest form, that's it. What do you want? What will we measure? What value will be created? What would you pay if we could help you create that value? And that's a simple framework. It's not, your, your listeners are listening, thinking, oh, yeah, no problem. I can do that. How can this be the most valuable skill in all of business? But it's difficult for our listeners, Marcel, because our listeners are subject matter experts. And when the client starts talking about what they want, our listeners immediately jump ahead. They see a pattern. They go, ah, I've seen this before. I know what you need. I know what the solution is. I know what we charge for that solution. So you, you, the focus, the goal of the value conversation is to have the focus be completely on the client and let go entirely of the solution. And that is the Jedi mind trick that you need to master. Quit going back to you, your solutions, what you charge. You want to navigate through the entire value conversation being completely focused on the client. And when the client turns to you in the middle of the value conversation and says, well, what, what would you do for that? Your response needs to be something like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying really hard not to think about solutions right now. I want to stay focused on you and what you're trying to accomplish here. And then at the end of the, so what's interesting is we, we have a framework for navigating the sale. It's called the four conversations where you view Uh, The arc of the sale is a series of four linear, discrete conversations. So at any point in sale, you ask yourself, what conversation is this? What's my objective? What framework do I use to navigate to that objective? In our model, the value conversation is the third of four conversations. At the end of this conversation, you are three quarters of the way through the sale. And if you have done it properly, you have not once thought about solutions. Interestingly, you've set not not specific price, but you've got, you've established pricing guidance, a range of X to Y, um, but you still haven't thought about solutions. And then you would say, okay, now I'm going to think about solutions. And that usually means that you have to go away and think about solutions. And if you have a larger team, then you would brainstorm with your team. You would download the outcome of the value conversation with your team. And then you would start thinking about solutions and specific prices. So it seems simple. It's, it, it is simple, 
but it's not easy. And it's not easy because we are subject matter experts. We see patterns everywhere. And those patterns cause us to jump ahead to costs, solutions and costs and therefore price. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. And this is the conversation, guys, if you're listening, that led to things like a million dollar logo or a $2 million website, things that you look at and say, it doesn't cost that much. I could have done it for $1,000. I could have done it for $5,000. But the value conversation is what creates tension. It's what stretches the gap and what creates the context in which it makes sense for the client to spend a million dollars on a logo because their print budget was $14 million and because they had to put it on 70 airplanes after it was done. And so it made sense for them to spend that amount of money to de-risk it in that context this is the only way, this kind of conversation is the only way I've ever seen to get to those kinds of outcomes on projects. And it's why I believe it's so powerful. And I'm so excited that you're here sharing it with us. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, you, you've summarized that really nicely. And I really liked what you said earlier, Marcel, about selling from your heels. That's a great metaphor where, as opposed to the balls of your feet, where you're leaning forward and there's... um. I think it's an old Chinese saying that if if you lean forward, if if you if you lean forward, people lean back. If you raise your voice, they lean back. If you speak softly, they lean forward. If you lean backwards, they lean into you. I like to say the standard sales approach is advance, 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 and the win without pitching approach is advance and engage, then retreat, and see if the client steps forward. Then retreat again and see if the client steps forward. And then I like to joke, you retreat right back into your cave, then you pounce on them, kill them and eat them. <laughs> That's a, another colorful metaphor. If you guys are enjoying these metaphors, pick up the book. Um, it's a joy to read, really. Um, probably one of the most colorful business books I've read and also just packed with value. And it'll be in the show notes. Highly recommend it. Also a quick read. I think I got through half of it in like an hour and a half yesterday. So yeah, it it should be um, if it takes you three hours, you're probably a, a slow a, a slow reader or on the slower side. Um, I think I'm an average speed reader. It took takes me two and a half hours to read it, and I, I know people who have read it in less than two hours. Yeah, so really quick win um, to read that and just pull a lot of insight from it. And all the stuff that we're talking about now, if it's not super clear to you, it'll be crystal clear um, after you read through even the first half of the book. So with that, I want to dig into, you know, what some of the most common mistakes you see um, when agencies are trying to move from the way that they sell today to this new way of selling. How do they generally mess up 
Oh, there's some really common ones. When it comes to positioning the firm, the first mistake is they skip over the strategy part of positioning, the discipline exercise of deciding what you're no longer going to do. And they get right to the linguistic part, the fun part of crafting a story language. So you you end up with firms like trying to spin a story about an agency that's not all that different. And it's not all that different because they haven't elected to focus on anything. When it comes to the actual sale itself, a really big one is just that, that kind of underpins a lot of, you know, the deciding factors of whether or not you're going to succeed is, is your, your willingness to walk away um, and your willingness or ability to say no and to hear no. You really need to learn to be comfortable not winning. Now, I say that is, uh, the way you get better at that is quit creating the conditions where you are overinvested in the sale. And the client selection process, as you alluded to earlier, Marcel, it's designed to see you overinvest in the sale. It's do- designed to leverage sunk cost bias so that you're so invested in the sale. You've, you've, they've got you to do so much work that there's just no point in stopping now. There's no point in walking away. You're so heavily invested. So part of um, reining in that communication of your own desire, part of trying not to communicate neediness is not over-investing in the sale. And that requires you to push back when the client asks you to do something that you don't think is in your best interest or if they ask you to do a whole bunch of work without being paid. So I think at the root of all of that is just, um, it's in the nature of entrepreneurs and I think creative entrepreneurs have it worse. And that is fear that if they don't, if they don't close this deal, then there might not be another one behind them. And creative entrepreneurs have that worse because uh, creative people love to solve the problem they have not previously solved. That is essentially what creativity is, is the ability to bring a novel perspective to a fresh problem. So creative people are always drawn to problems that they have not previously solved. So it's really hard. A creative person sees the challenge, new client, new industry, and they think, oh my God, this would be so cool. And then they start to give stuff away. And now they're heavily invested and the client asks them to do more and more. And they think, well, I've come this far, might as well keep going. And then in the end, they're told, well, the budget's only a fraction of what you proposed. And they think, well, we've come this far. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Famous last words. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the big ones. And positioning, it's, it's about skipping over the sacrifice part, the strategy of choosing a focus and going right to language. And in the sale, it's... Uh, being re- over investing in the sale and therefore impairing their own ability to walk away when it's, it's in their best interest to walk away. Hmm. So I think that there's a lot of people that, um, you know, are listening to this that might be thinking about, okay, in theory, this sounds good, but I, you know, I, I tried this with a client and they did this, or I tried this with a client and they did that. What are some of those common traps that you see clients setting to try and, you know, pull you out of this type of sale and back into their kind of circus that they typically like to hold for all the agencies vying for their business? 
Um, there are lots of, I'm, you know, what, a, what you would view as a trap, I'm not sure, but there are lots of things that they do that aren't in your best interest to do. And I would just have you push back on anything that you think isn't in your best interest. But as you alluded to kind of off the top, Marcel, um, we're, it's like we're in this bubble where what, what serves as standard acceptable practice in our world looks insane from the outside, right? So we just think, oh, you know, of course we're going to, of course we're going to solve the client's problem as proof of our ability to solve the problem. Of course we're going to give our highest value thinking away for free. Why wouldn't we attend a meeting with all of the competitors where if we have any questions to ask of the client, we are forced to ask them in front of our competitors, therefore neutering any competitive advantage we might have by asking smarter questions. Why wouldn't we do that? That's just the way it's done. That's absurd. That is absolutely absurd. The idea that we would willingly participate in something like that is insane. And, you know, when you start to push back, what some of our research shows is if you can't affect the buying process, if you try to get some of the, gain some concessions in the sale, get some of the rules changed in your favor, and you can't, you're not likely to win. Your odds of winning are about one over two N with N being the number of firms under consideration. Now, as soon as you gain a small concession, as soon as the client willingly treats you differently, and the only way they're going to treat you differently is if you ask them to treat you differently, move the meeting, you come to us instead of us going to you, Um, you answering these questions, you giving us access to decision makers. As soon as you get just a little concession, your odds of winning are now greater than they are of losing. And if you get what you see as a significant concession, if you can significantly affect the buying process, and that's an example of that to me would be gaining access to decision makers when when you're told access is not allowed. As soon as you do that, it's basically yours to lose. Your odds of winning are greater than, I might have this off the top of my head, they're around 90%. Nine and ten. So, what knowing what I know for as long as I've known, the idea that somebody wouldn't ask seems to me to be insane. That you and I, I, I understand why people don't ask for concessions. I understand why people don't ask to be treated differently, because they're under the illusion that they're in the service business. The customer is always right. And the way you win the account is by being a polite, compliant rule follower where you lean on service and you plaster a smile on your face even when you disagree with the client. And that is a dangerous idea in the creative services business. You're not in the service business. You're in the expertise business. The client isn't always right. In fact, they're more likely to be wrong or to have missed something from the picture entirely than they are to have nailed it all. And it's not because clients are stupid. It's just you have this valuable third-party outside perspective and your superpower is thinking about the problem differently. So when a client says, here's our problem, here's the solution we want, and they come to you to procure a specific solution, what they're saying to you is, you're not allowed to bring your superpower to bear. You're not allowed to look at the problem differently. I, I love, uh, and this kind of leads into something that I wanted to dig into a little bit more, which was why establishing control and getting power in that buying process uh, is so important. And you alluded to 
just now a graph that you put up at the talk that I found really fascinating, which was this stat about when you get the buyer to start making concessions or changing the process for you, your chances of closing the sale increase dramatically. And this is not a question. This is just something that came to my mind as I was, I was listening to that and then reading the book that really is relevant to what we love talking about on this podcast and what we specialize in at our company, which is the operation side of the business. And it just opened my eyes to how critical that is to reducing things like scope creep, to being able to increasingly productize your services and create processes and procedures around those to make them more efficient, to make them more standardized, to make them more predictable so that you can be profitable and sustainable and consistently hit the budgets that you're expected to hit for these clients. Um, And how that dynamic starts way earlier than the kickoff of the project. To your point, it starts very early in the buying process. How that dynamic, even at a subconscious level, is going to be established between you and the client. Who's really calling the shots? Who's really controlling the engagement? Your level of authority and how you position your agency as you come in has a huge impact on that. And I absolutely love that. I thought it was really insightful and kind of was a a golden nugget for me personally as I was reading through it. I think it's worth noting. Thank you. And I I think... um... I think Mahan Khalsa, I think I stole it from him, said it first. And and it's the sale is the sample, or he said a variation of that. Um, The sale, the sale is the sample of, of essentially how you will deliver. And more importantly, I think to me, it's the same thing. It's a sample of the role you will play in the relationship. So for, for you to do your best work and, um, the, uh, the owner or anybody working in a creative or a marketing firm, for you to do your best work for your clients, you need to be allowed to lead the engagement. You need a client who lets you rethink the problem when you think it's appropriate to rethink the problem, um, who lets you push back on any ideas that the client's bringing to the table, who lets you challenge um, a convention, whatever. You, you need the freedom to go about solving the problem the way you want to go about solving the problem. Those are the conditions that allow you to do your best work. Now, interestingly, in creative firms, total freedom doesn't always lead to best work. But um, so the client has to kind of put you in a box somewhat, but then you really want, you you do your best work for clients who you feel comfortable pushing back and, and speaking forthrightly to them about what it is that you think and believe. So, if that's the case, if, if that's the relationship that you need to do your best work, if you need to be in a, in a, let's call it a leadership position or an expert practitioner position where the client defers to you, or at least is open to hearing from you on important strategic matters, then you need to establish that relationship in the sale before you're hired because you don't win the business from the vendor position, being the polite, compliant rule follower who, who's leaning on service and saying yes to everything, even when you're thinking no. And then after you've won the engagement, you don't, you don't get the ability to swap hats and go from being a good soldier in the sale to being a good general in the engagement. So if you believe, as I do, that to do your best work, you need to be a good general or a good expert practitioner, you have to occupy that role in the sale. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and again, I think such a super important part of how you not only again, close more sales and command a higher price point, but protect your agency from scope creep and all of the other terrible things that erode your margins and make it 
really difficult to be profitable and sustainable as a business. Yeah. So as we kind of come to a close, um, I would love for you to share what your advice is for those that are listening that are intrigued by this and want to take the next step to improving the way that they sell at their agency. I think I always say to people, if you haven't read the manifesto, read the manifesto. It's like 20 bucks on Amazon or something. Kindle's 10 bucks in Canada. Yeah. 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 So it's, again, it's a two and a half hour read. I mean, I, I, uh, I designed this book to be read by designers. And what I mean by that is I did it backwards. First, I decided what the size and the thickness should be. And I took a standard book that was the right right thickness and I cut the size down. And I thought, okay, this will fit on the back of a toilet tank. It will fit in a purse. You can, you can, this length, you can read on an airplane. Those are all the parameters. And so it's, it's written to be read. So read that. And at the end of that book, it's a manifesto. So it's going to speak to you. It's going to resonate with you or it's going to alienate you one or the other. And if it alienates you, that's fine. This approach isn't for you. You're better off getting your, your sales or new business development guidance elsewhere. If it does resonate with you, then there's over 100,000 words of free advice on my website, winwithoutpitching.com. I do a podcast, two, the number two bobs with no space between with my colleague, David C. Baker. And then just start picking up because the manifesto is really a here's how, it's not, it's not a here's how to book, it's a yes you can book. And I know a lot of people who have ta- who've taken the, the principles or the proclamations of the manifesto and done a lot with them. But if you want some guidance on applying, there's more free information on our website. And then there's training and coaching programs and workshops, et cetera. But I think that's, that's what I would do. Read the manifesto first to see, to make sure that this point of view resonates with you. And if it does, dive in deeper. Um, and if it doesn't, then um, that's fine. No harm, no foul. <laughs> All right. So for those of you that are listening that want to take the next step, I will make sure that there are links to the book, the blog, the podcast, all in the show notes down below. So make sure you go and check those out. And Blair, for those that want to follow you and find more about you online, where should they go and where can they find you? So I'm Blair Ends on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find me at winwithoutpitching.com. You can buy my new book, Pricing Creativity, only at pricingcreativity.com. The manifesto is available at Amazon. But on social media, the only social media where I'm really active is Twitter and a little bit on LinkedIn. I'm Blair Ends, B-L-A-I-R-E-N-N-S. Awesome. So make sure you guys go and check that out. Reach out to Blair, let him know how much value you got from the, this podcast and pick up the book. I highly recommend it. Like I said, I started reading it yesterday. Absolutely love it. One of my favorite agency specific books that I've read in a long time and I've read a lot of them. So definitely pick that up and uh, leave us a comment wherever you're listening to this and let us know what you got from it. Let us know what questions you have. We'd love to hear from you. So Blair, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Really enjoyed having you and uh, appreciate all the wisdom and value that you brought to us. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. 
If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.
audience today.